My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. As Pastor Aaron just mentioned, I'm Pastor Shane, and it is uh, my privilege to continue in this teaching series we're calling Unlikely Heroes. And the overall theme of this series is that there are no ordinary, insignificant people in the story of God. And before we uh, dive into the text today to take a look at our unlikely hero for today, I want to start by just having you consider a couple of questions. Have you ever been relationally hurt in church? Anybody ever disappointed you? Or maybe another way to look at it, um, if, you, if you think about the church today that you're a part of, um, is there anybody that you don't like? Anybody that maybe bothers you? Or if you had the choice, you would maybe say, vote off the island? Well, anyone who has spent more than maybe one or two Sundays at a church gathering of any size will run into relational conflict sooner or later. Because church is relationally messy. And this is difficult because we have great hopes for church. I mean, we we come and we want a place to belong and we want a place that's relationally safe and a place where we can make deep, abiding friendships. And we read through the New Testament and we see uh, description after description, metaphor after metaphor of what the church could be. And and it stirs a longing inside of us, and, and rightly so. But what also can happen is we can create a a mental and emotional ideal of what church ought to be to the point where, quite frankly, uh, no church can actually measure up to that ideal because real church uh, is full of messy people and difficult relationships. Sadly, many people compare their dream church with real church and decide that since real church can't measure up to dream church, I'm just going to give up on church and, and, and I'll just kind of settle for kind of a me and Jesus kind of relationship thing. I don't need all of them. You know, Jesus and I, we can do our thing. Or even worse, because of difficult experiences and relationships in church, some people give up on Jesus altogether. But my friends, here's a, here's a truth. Hidden in the messiness of real church is actually the secret sauce, we might say, of what actually makes church church. (laughs) What's the secret sauce? Well, in a word, reconciliation. Reconciliation of relationships. 
The secret is found all through the New Testament, uh, but it's succinctly summarized by the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, where we read this. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Now you may wonder, like, well, wait a minute. You were just talking about reconciling relationships with each other. And this is about reconciling relationship with God. And, and, and yet, if you remember, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our relationships here reflect our relationship here. And so when we're reconciled with God... We will not reconcile with one another. In fact, I would go as far as to say as we primarily picture the reconciliation we have with God by reconciling in relationship with each other. The secret of reconciliation is modeled for us through the life of a man in the Bible we're going to take a look at today as our unlikely hero of the today. And he's just another one of those names that's, that we see all through the Bible. There's name after name, and sometimes those names come in long lists, right? And you just want to read right past them. And in this series, we just want to emphasize that each of those names is a real person who played a part in the story of God. And, and there are no ordinary insignificant people in the Bible, and the same is true for his church, for Jesus' church. There are no ordinary insignificant people in the church. In fact, I believe one day all who call upon the name of Jesus will one day stand and, kind of, and see all of human history, and then we will notice it's actually the ordinary people, the, the, seemingly, the ones that are seemingly just in the quiet corners of the world that actually turn out to be the real heroes. So that's what we're seeing in our text. And so today, or as I say, last week we looked at an unlikely hero. Her name was Mary of Bethany, who reminded us that Jesus is better than all that we have and all that we are. Today's unlikely hero is a man named Onesimus. Onesimus. You know him, right? Right? If you don't know who that is, you're not the only one, because he's an unlikely hero in the Bible. He's actually only found in one place, and it's one of those really small letters near the back of the Bible. At the end of the New Testament, it's a letter called Philemon. Well, we don't know much about Onesimus's life, but what we do know is he was a runaway slave. And in that day and age, that was pretty much the biggest relational uh, betrayal that there could be. I mean, that was really bad stuff. And so he was a runaway slave, and he, for many years, we don't know how long, but he lived incognito until life circumstances arranged by a sovereign God brought him into contact with the man that we know of as the Apostle Paul. At the time, the Apostle Paul was living in Rome. He was actually a prisoner because of his sharing of the gospel. And somehow he and Onesimus met, and through Paul, Onesimus came face to face with Jesus. He trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins, and then he got on what we here at Sunrise call the discipleship pathway to connect, grow, serve, and lead to be a disciple maker, who, a disciple who makes disciples. That's what Paul led him to do. Well, at some point during that discipleship process, the topic of his status as a runaway slave somehow bubbled up, came to the forefront. That's often what happens when we're in the discipleship process. Things that are uncomfortable, things that we'd rather leave behind, especially when they're relational hurts. Now, we don't know anything about the conversation, but I can't imagine it was an easy one. 
In fact, as I kind of dig into the story, and you know, and that's what we need to do when we read the Bible. Sometimes it stays two-dimensional, but we need to use our imagination and kind of get in there and, and feel what it was like and imagine what it was like and kind of imagine this conversation, you know, Onesimus and Paul talking and Onesimus saying, you know, well, why, why do I have to like reconcile this relationship? You know, can't we just let bygones be bygones? Can't we just let the past stay in the past? You know, let's move forward in life, right? I mean, you know, after all, I mean, he doesn't know where I am. He's thousands of miles away. He might even think I'm dead. And, and just think about it, Paul. I mean, if I stay here with you, think about the great things we could do for the gospel. Because if I go back, I could get killed. Uh, I could get, at best, I'll be flogged. Paul, is that what you want for me? Plus, I'll be a slave. And, and what good can I do to, to the kingdom of God there as a slave? And, and since we're on the subject, isn't slavery wrong anyway? <laughs> Can you just imagine all the obstacles, one after another, that would come up in this conversation? Well, one thing I think we could all agree on is that situation is messed up. It's messed up. Onesimus somehow came to the conclusion that he needed to move into this mess. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that I would want to move toward it. I know I probably left to myself. I'd want to run as far away as I could. But he felt compelled to move into it. And you think about, well, why would anyone want to do that? Because God did. <laughs> you may have heard it from the, in the Bible where it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus made the first move into our mess. If God didn't move relationally into messes, none of us would have a hope at all. So why would we do it? Because Jesus did it. And that's the conclusion that Onesimus came, so, so came to. So grounded in his faith in Jesus, Onesimus came to the conclusion that he needed to return and reconcile in his relationship with his master, a man by the name of Philemon. You might, again, stay in the story. Imagine how hard that would be. Imagine what courage that would take. Now, Onesimus did have a couple things going for him. First of all, Philemon was a follower of Jesus as well. And secondly, not only did Paul know Philemon, but Paul had actually led Philemon to a relationship with Jesus as well. So they had that going for him. So what Paul did is he wrote a letter, and he sent the letter with Onesimus as he went to reconcile his relationship with Philemon, hand the letter to Philemon to read as an introduction. That letter not only was at that church for Philemon, but somehow it got distributed to churches all through the region because it became a picture of what it looks like to reconcile relationships the Jesus way. Soon that letter was joined with a bunch of other letters and became what we call the New Testament today. So Philemon is a short letter, and yet it packs a punch. It's amazing and powerful. And so this morning what I want to do is first I'm going to read through it in its entirety. It's not that long. But before I do that, I want you to, I want you to do something for me. I want you to right now just kind of pause what you're doing, close your eyes, and I want you to bring to your mind somebody who has hurt you relationally in church. Maybe it's somebody you had a relationship with and then something happened and the relationship went sideways and, and it, now it remains unreconciled. Or, or maybe it's somebody who hurt you and they don't even know that they hurt you, but man, that went deep. Maybe it's something that happened recently. Maybe it happened a long time ago and yet you can't seem to shake it. So you got that person in front of your mind. Imagine them standing right in front of you. Here's what I want you to do. As I read this letter, I want you to imagine that the letter is carried by that person to you. 
Okay, so rather than this just being some letter out there in the Bible that we're going to read, no, this is a letter given to you from that person who has hurt you. Okay, let's read through this together. So this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer to simply ask you. Consider this a request from me, Paul, an old man who is now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I was, am in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave. He is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor and for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. And one more thing, please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Please pray with me. Jesus, that letter that expresses your heart for how you want us to engage in relationships. And, and so as we take a little closer look at this, would you, would you use it to pierce through I know we have these hurts that need to be healed, the relational hurts. And so would you first of all heal our hearts before you and our own brokenness, and then would you give us the courage to extend it to others around us? I pray, believing in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So what I want to do now is I'm just going to go back through that letter, just kind of piece by piece, and, and, and show how it, it, it shows how the gospel of Jesus transforms so much of life and sets the stage for reconciliation in our relationships. And so the first thing I want to highlight here is obviously the letters from Paul, and there it is. It's written, you know, with his brother Timothy, but it's written to Philemon. But you notice it's not only written to Philemon. It's also written to Aphia and to Archippus. Now, we can assume that since they're named, they're given by names, these are likely the leaders of this church. And it's written to the church that meets in their house, their entire church. So isn't that strike you as a little bit odd, maybe? This is a personal matter, or so it seems, between Onesimus and Philemon, and yet Paul writes and includes the church leaders and the church. If this seems odd to you, well, it's probably because you're a good American, <laughs> We've, we've come to understand the church uh, uh, that's formed by what we call free association, which basically means my business is my business until I make it your business. And in the meantime, mind your own business. That's kind of how we see it. And that just, that this is just between me and him. And so what does it have to do with you? Well, the church isn't this building. It, it isn't what happens here on the stage. It's relationships. Church is family. Church is the people. And so church is made up of every relationship, which means every relationship affects the overall health of the church, which means any relational conflict puts in jeopardy the relational health of the church. And so it's the church's business to be involved in the resolution of the conflict. So Paul is highlighting that. We need to understand that, that the church, that there's, that there is no independent relationship in the church. It affects the entire body. The next thing we see from Paul in the next few verses is you see him commend Philemon for the life that he lives. And this is a good lesson for us, especially as we're kind of maybe stepping toward a relational mess. Maybe we feel a sense of hurt. And whenever we have feel a sense of hurt, it kind of narrows our vision. It reduces it so that all we see is through the hurt and we lose the humanity of the other person. The other person is so much more than that. In fact, the more we can see the wonder, the more we can see the good in who they are, in addition to this thing that's bothersome, right, the more likely we are to be gracious toward them. And so we lead with a sense of compliments, and that's what, that's what Paul's doing. He's praising Philemon for who he is, and, and it's beautiful on so many levels. But what comes next, basically, Paul goes after the heart of the matter, and he displays both in his words and in his actions how the gospel of Jesus changes everything about life. In the next two verses, verses 8 and 9, what we see is that the gospel changes leadership. So here we see Paul leading, and notice that he says, I could demand this of you in the name of Christ. He's an apostle. He has authority over this church. He could tell Philemon what to do. But the gospel changes relationships. Jesus never ordered people. He never used power over people to compel them into action. It's always, the gospel is always about invitation, invitation. Come near to me. Draw near to me. Paul's doing the same thing. I could order you, but what Paul realizes is that power has limitations, Power, leadership power, can, ne- can only create external conformance. Power can never change a human heart. As parents, we, we know this, right? You have your, t- your kids and they're fighting, right? And you get in there in the middle of it and you break them up and you listen to it. And at some point you do what parents do, right? Say you're sorry. Sorry, right? Say you're sorry. Sorry, right? External conformance, you have the power. They're going to do what mom and dad says. But you can't change the heart, That's only through invitation. That's what good leadership does. That's what gospel leadership does. That's what Paul is modeling here. 
In the next few verses, in verses 10 through 12, we see that Paul is highlighting how the gospel of Jesus changes what makes people valuable. Show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith. You notice that? My child father. See, Onesimus is now a part of the family of God. He's embedded in the relational thing, this relational thing that's called the church. It's now a family relationship. That's now what makes him valuable. Now, Paul uses what some people think is a a pun here. It's a little bit of a play on words because this is all originally written in Greek. And Onesimus was a Greek name. and, And translated, his name means useful. So useful hasn't been of much use to you in the past, and, but now he's very useful to both of us. And so there's a little bit of play on words, but notice kind of the shift between useful because he accomplishes something for you versus useful because that's who he is. That's his very name. He's useful because he's a brother, because he's a family member. His very identity, it makes him valuable, not based on what he can do or, or what, what role he plays in life. In the next couple of verses, continuing that theme of what makes Onesimus valuable, Onesimus was seen as a slave to Philemon, but now Paul is saying more than that. He's more than that. Now he's a beloved, a dearly loved brother. See, a slave is a commodity, and a slave-master relationship is a transactional relationship. It's based on what you do for me. And what Paul is now saying is that with Jesus, people and relationships change. Relationships are no longer about what you can do for me. Instead, each person's value is based on who they are in the Lord. Now, it says in the Lord here, but you'll see all the way through five different times Paul says either in Christ or in Christ Jesus or in the Lord. In verse 6 and verse 8, here in verse 16, and again in verse 20 and verse 23. Onesimus' value, your value, my value, if you put your trust in Christ, the value is found in Christ, not based on what you do. And this is so important to realize because we easily turn people into commodities and relationships into transactions. That's just what sin does. And so we're at, it's easy to look at a person and to ask a question. What are you going to do for me? What value do you bring to me? How useful are you to me? Or flip it around and we might ask, what is a relationship with you going to cost me? How might you get in the way of what I want out of life? See how that's, that person is now a commodity and that relationship is now about a transaction. You give a little, I give a little, as opposed to a generous display of love and affection, which is how a family is designed to work. In Christ, we are members of the same family, brothers and sisters with God as our Father. In verses 17 through 19, again, we see Paul skillfully play with words. He basically says to Philemon, if you're still concerned about compensation, if you're still looking at the situation through the lens of this world and a transactional relationship, a transactional approach to relationship, then charge me. Charge me. Oh, and by the way, if we're going to quibble about value uh, and what you might owe me, how much is it worth Uh, for your eternal salvation forever? How much is that worth to you? Uh, It's just an amazing play on words here. And then you notice how this is in all caps. And this is just the New Living Translation's way of noticing there was a shift here. 
You see, Paul would have originally been writing through, uh, through somebody who was called a manusus or a scribe. He would have been, in a sense, dictating. But it's almost like his passion for the gospel, his passion for reconciliation kind of took over him and he grabs the quill out of the scribe's hand and then starts scrawling on his known, I, Paul, will, this is my own hand. I will repay it. And don't mention, don't mention that you owe me your very soul through through the Holy Spirit, through me, brought you to this eternal salvation. And then in the next couple of verses, 20 through 22, he really applies the screws, if you will. He says, I believe you're going to do even more than I'm asking because, yeah, you and I both know following Jesus isn't about doing the minimum. Following Jesus is about generosity because Christ was so generous to us before we had anything to offer. And then another Right here. And please, uh, by the way, prepare a guest room for me. I think this is what we might call a pucker moment. <laughs> what? You're going to come visit? I'm going <gasps> to, right? And then the last couple of verses. And, and normally the last couple of verses might be ones we just read, overlook. overlook. And, I, and I thought about in verses 23 through 25, not even putting them back up here on the screen because after all, what purpose do they serve? It's just more names, more names, more people insignificant, ordinary-seeming people, just names. But these were real people who played a part in the story God was telling that's been handed down to us all through the generations. These were, this, was, this was Onesimus' family in Rome. And it's almost like this church family was sending Onesimus to Philemon's church family, saying, love our brother, love our brother. And it's based, all of it is based on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of Christ is the foundation for all. So Paul had one purpose for writing this letter, one purpose. One thing he valued above all else, reconciliation in this relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. Because they were both reconciled to God, reconcile with one another. Of course, we need to understand what this reconciliation is. And not that many years ago, I came across a definition. I don't even know where I got it, but it's just really stuck with me. Reconciliation is a grace exchange between two repenters. Now, what I like about that is because this is, a, this is two people in action here. Now, one can lead, but the other one needs to respond. And both need to come from a place of repenting, both admitting that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sinful, I'm broken, I participated in this problem. I'm willing to own my part. I'm willing to, you're willing to own your part. Now we can exchange grace to one another. Two people recognizing the weight of their own sin and the wonder of God's forgiveness in Jesus and then offering forgiveness freely to each other. Reconciliation is the secret sauce that makes church, church. Living in real church means welcoming messy people for the sake of the gospel. And we're able to welcome messy people to the extent that we realize we are the messy people. We need grace as well. But can we just admit this is hard? This is, this is not an easy thing to do. It, it's counterintuitive. It actually takes tremendous faith in Jesus to take such a relational risks with each other. But those who take the risk by faith gain access to a vast, previously unrecognized reality that is so worth it. And that is the heartbeat of Jesus' church. Well, during this Unlikely Heroes teaching series, we're not only looking at seemingly insignificant people in the Bible, we're also looking at them right here at sunrise. Because again, it's easy to think that what happens up here on the stage, or because this is on video, that this is Sunrise Church, and that 
couldn't be farther from the church. The work of Sunrise Church happens wherever you are, wherever you go, especially when you or I move into or toward messy relationships with a heartbeat for reconciliation. Today, what I want to do is I want to share a, share a story of somebody who's a part of Sunrise Church, whose story actually parallels in many ways the story of Onesimus. His name is Ben Sanders, and I want to catch a bit of his story. My name's Ben Sanders. I've been doing drugs since I was probably 16 years old. In 1988, I found God for the first time since I was a little kid. But I was still doing drugs, so I, I chose the wrong one to give up. I, I chose Jesus to give up instead of the drugs. And, and so I went back to doing drugs. Then I just progressed, did more, uh, more jail time, more prison time. And uh, then in uh, 2006, I got out of prison for the last time. I knew a, this friend of mine I, I knew in uh, prison. I ran into him and he invited me to come to church with him, light my way. And I said, okay. So I tried it, and I, I first time I went was in October of 2006. And I've pretty much been coming from 2000, October 2006 till today to light my way here at Sunrise. In 2011, I was, I was homeless, and I was living wherever I could, staying wherever I could. And I was at a friend's house here in Hillsboro, and I was out in his, uh, out in his garden one day. And I was just, I was just so, I was at my last, last straw. And I just fell to my knees in the garden and, and asked Jesus Christ into my life. I couldn't go anymore. And from that day till now, I've just, I've, I've grown. Um, my life has changed, and 2014, I got married. Then in 2015, I was the last time I ever did any drugs. God has just blessed me in so many ways with friends. I've got more friends today than I ever believed or thought or wanted in my life. Because I was at, I, back when I was doing all my drugs and stuff, I didn't want no friends because I couldn't, I, I couldn't relate to no one. But as the time went, and the more I learned about Jesus, and the more he, he started changing me from the inside, the more I started trusting people, the more I started understanding things. Uh, that life can be good. And life is, life is beautiful now. I appreciate, I'm grateful for what I have. For, uh, I thank Jesus Christ every day. 
at least at least once, probably a hundred times. You know, I don't know how many, but I do thank Jesus Christ for coming into my life. You know, I I can't say I can't say enough. Jesus Christ is real. He changes you. He will change you if you let him. If you're sincere, uh, if that's really what you want, you can become a completely different person because I know I am. I, I love my life today. I love Jesus Christ. Thank you. Ben lived for years, suspicious and standoffish in relationship. He had trouble trusting others. Yet because of the persistent love that he found here at Sunrise, especially when he was messy and when he was given to his addictions and, and for years, but because of the love he received here at Sunrise, he not only came to meet Jesus, but he learned what it was a part of to be part of a family, to be in relationship with each other, to learn the beauty and the wonder of not only being cared for, but learning how to care for others. That's the heartbeat of a church, that kind of reconciliation in relationships. So my friends, I hope that you hear through the story of Onesimus, through the story of Ben Sanders, that that reconciliation is the secret sauce of the church. And reconciling means doing the hard work of, of confessing our sins and our shortcomings rather than pretending or blaming or minimizing. Reconciling means admitting that my sin is at least as much as or worse than anything you could do, no matter what you do. And I want to say that again. It, it means admitting that our sin, my sin, is at, 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 at same as or worse than anything anybody else can do. When I do that, then I'm able to, by grace to offer grace and then to re- realize that reconciling relationship means that recognizing that I need forgiveness and that I have forgiveness to offer because I've received it. I turn to Jesus for my value and for my hope and then I can extend grace to those around me. And, and Sunrise, let's be that kind of church. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for the story of Onesimus. Thank you, God, for the story of Ben Sanders, for how you can teach us through them about what it means to walk in the door, not only to a relationship with you, but then to a relationship with others, to learn what it means to love and be loved. And that's messy. We're, We're caught in our sin and our shortcomings, and we fail so frequently. Would you, in the power of your spirit, especially here at Sunrise, we want to be your church, would you give us the power and the courage to step into relational messes with the hope of the gospel, to reconcile relationships, to forgive and be forgiven. Help us be that kind of church. Pray, believing, and desiring in Jesus' name. Amen.